inviting someone to join you at church. It can be stressful. It can go really well. It can go really bad sometimes. And today, uh, we're continuing our series called The Power of the Invite, talking about how, how powerful it can be when we muster up the courage to tell someone about something that's been really good for us. And we're going to be looking into the Gospel of John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 35 is where we're going to start. But kind of as we get into this uh, and and we begin to study, there's going to be a character that's referenced called um, John. He's John the Baptist. And, And John, from his ministry from the very beginning, he did some incredible stuff. And he had a really big following. He had lots of Instagram likes and followers. He was an influencer in his city. He even got in the public arguments with a high up official. It's funny how today we will see these incredibly high up people in our government or in our society get in arguments with teenagers. Like Kevin Durant, I mean he's not a political person, but he's a basketball player, one of the best basketball players in the world. And we all got to watch him have a public argument with a teenager. And it's like, come on, don't you have better things to do than argue with a teenager, especially one when we know that at the root of all of our social media arguments, isn't it just kind of the, I want to show how smart I am, I want to show how important I am, I I, want to tag this important person in this post, because if they respond, more people will notice, more people will like me, more people will follow me, and I'll be more important. And we know we all get to take our likes and our followers to the bank at the end of the day and cash those in for real money, right? I mean, that's why social media is so important, because we actually gain something from it. Now, the thing that we gain is we, we feed our ego. And, and going back from generation to generation, even through biblical times, we see one of the big issues in the world is that we're all worried about me. But when someone comes ar- around who's not worried about themselves, it attracts a lot of attention because it's so out of the normal. From generation to generation, this is true. When there's someone who genuinely cares about other people, they stand out like crazy. And one of the things about John the Baptist's life, before we hop into this passage today, his whole ministry from the very beginning, the thing that he said he was about, my whole job isn't to gain attention to myself, my whole job is to show people that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is coming after me. I'm here to prepare the way, is what he was about. And so while he had a huge following, and he was hugely respected, and he got in arguments with with governors and rulers in, in a way that people took notice of, Even from the beginning, he said, my ministry, my life is not about me. And so we hop into this passage that is the day after John the Baptist just baptized Jesus himself, and a miracle happened, and it was amazing. And then we hop into this passage, starting at verse 35. You can read along, and we'll project the words on the screen. And it said, the following day, John was standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus, and Jesus looked around and saw them following, and he said, what do you want, is what he asked them, and then they asked, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained there for the rest of the day. There's a few things that I want to go back through on on this passage as we read it. The first is just this fact that when Jesus was walking by, and John the Baptist saw him. He said, look, there goes the Lamb of God. And he used his position and his influence and his voice to say something about Jesus. And then the result was that he lost followers. 
He lost people that were following him around, learning from him. He lost influence. And this was the beginning of really kind of the demise of John's ministry, where things started going less and less until eventually he lost his life. But in this circumstance, there was a cost that he had to pay for doing what he knew was his calling. And the series that we're on, it's, it's called The Power of the Invite, and it's talking about what invitations look like in our culture and how they carry importance and power in our life. And, and as we kind of get into this and we look at this passage, one of the first things that I want to acknowledge is I understand that when you invite someone to church, there's often social risk. There's often this element of, man, what if this is going to cost me something? And it doesn't cost us things like it did in biblical times or in other countries, but I want to just pay respect to the fact that I know that when you invite someone there's some stress, there's some anxiety, and oftentimes there's risk. It's like, man, if they find out that I'm a church person, I may not get invited back out to this event. I, I know that if I, if I do this, then, you know, people might ask if I, I, I hold a public office, or I hold a position in a school, and if people find out that I'm active in church, then sometimes that blows back on people, and so maybe I should just quiet down. But John the Baptist, his, his calling in life was to prepare the way for Jesus, but I, I want to remind us that we have a calling too. This isn't just for the pastors, for the missionaries, for the people who have like John the Baptist title after their name. But we all have a calling. And we as a church, we, we've said one of the best places that we can identify the calling of the church today in America is in Luke 19.10 where it says, this was Jesus' calling and so it should be ours as well for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That we should be a people who moves towards others who are hurting and others who are far from God. We should move towards them in a way where we carry love and compassion and kindness to them and where we invite them to be part of a group of people who are seeking to serve God and worship God and make a difference in the city. That's a calling that we, that we have, but when we pursue that, I want to acknowledge that there is a risk and there is a cost to that. In, in John's case, it, it was the diminishment of his own calling and, and uh, just two chapters later, John is, is talking in verse 30 of chapter 3, and some of his disciples said to him in verse 26, it says, so John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, he's also baptizing people. And everyone's going to him instead of coming to us. They, they saw, what should we do? You, you baptized this guy, and you said he was the Messiah, and now what we had is disappearing. And then John's response in verse 30 was, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. And as, as your pastor, as the leader of this church, I want to just first of all say, this church is not about me. This church is not about you either. This church isn't about the leaders of it. This church is about Jesus Christ and what he did for us. The amazing act of grace and kindness that we could never have earned or deserved, but was lived out on our behalf. And so we propel the message of Christ and the kindness of Christ and the compassion of Christ out into our city, out into our household, out into our workplace with the knowledge that sometimes when we spread this message, it might also come with a cost to our social life, our work life, to our reputation in some other people's eyes. But we have a calling that is worth the cost because what Jesus has done for us I mean, in Scripture, it's compared to finding a great treasure, that when you find it, you would sell everything you have to possess it. And the great thing is this treasure isn't something that we have to keep for ourselves, but it's something that we have to share with other people. And that gets into the calling of the church. 
And, and in this message today, there's three I will statements that I want to encourage you to adopt, that I want you to step out and risk and try. And, and the first one of these is I will continue in my calling even when there is a cost. I will continue in my calling even when there is a cost. Because what I've seen is often we will feel encouraged and inspired and called by God to step out and do something. And it's like we get, I make a lot of people nervous when I preach because they get up towards the edge of this. And they, there's a few people who are convinced I'm going to fall off the stage one day. And I, if I do, I just hope there's a, something recording it so that I can watch it later. Um, YouTube famous, right? Uh, it's like we get this calling and we get to the edge of it. But then we realize, okay, the next step is to pay a cost. And I know that in your head and your heart, you're like, it's worth the cost, it's worth the cost. Until, you, until you're right there on the edge of it. And there requires a boldness to say, I will pay it. I will step across that line. I'll make the invitation. And the reason that we invite isn't, isn't about us and it isn't about our church and it isn't about numbers, but it's the fact we invite people that we care about. And yes, you should invite everyone. We should care about everyone. But I want to say, th the place that it normally starts is in the people that are close to you that matter in your life. And we're actually going to see three different pictures of these invitations and these drawings that happen in these next couple of texts. And the first one, it happened with, with John the Baptist where he says, here's Jesus walking by. This is the Lamb of God. A and he sends his own disciples. And he says, this is the person you should follow. And his, his disciples, they go and follow him. And when, in verse 38, it says, when Jesus looked around and he saw them following, he said, what do you want? They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Which culturally, this doesn't kind of land in the same way that it was written. What they're asking is different than kind of the way that we understand. This just seems like they're curious where he's staying. But what they're asking is, where are you going to be so that we can come and talk to you later? What's your email address so that I can follow up with you later this week? Like, when it's my time to come and ask my questions, because Jesus says, what do you want? They don't want to talk about what they want right there. Like, they, they don't want to ask the question right there. They want to come ask it later in private. Where are you going to be staying? And Jesus' response is, come and see. Not, not, not come find me on your own time, but if you want to be part of what I'm doing, then, then respond now. Come with me now. And this calling, this invitation of Jesus, I mean, it's, it's kind of true throughout the ages that we come to him and we often try to say, okay, you know, I'm, I made a deal with, with God and it's going to be like this. But I want to tell you, when you try to approach God and make a deal with him, God's not the one who makes deals. There's, there's someone else who makes deals who will try to deal with you, but God has a standard. He doesn't offer deals. God's standard is in order to have eternal life, in order to have life after death, there's a standard of perfection, absolute holiness. And any one sin makes us fall short of that standard. And so none of us can earn heaven. God's standard is that I had to send my own son to live the perfect life, to die on the cross to pay your penalty for sin. And he rose from the grave to show that you can have victory over sin and complete forgiveness. This is the standard. This is the way that you know you have a connection with me again. God doesn't make deals. But he offers us grace because the standard was met in Jesus Christ. And so he invites us to receive something that we never could have earned. And when Jesus invites someone to come and follow him, throughout scripture we see these different invitations. Come and follow me. Come with me and see. And we hear that and we're like, oh man, that would have been 
a struggle maybe to leave, your, leave what you're doing and go follow Jesus, but culturally within the day, there's some context that you need to understand. That the invitation to follow a rabbi was a very exclusive invitation. This was like a prep school only type of thing. The best and the brightest, the educated who could read the Torah themselves, that they could write, they could actually record the Torah, they would be trained to, to, to write down the scriptures from the back to the front, to meet in the middle, to know how many characters were within the different chapters in the books of the Old Testament, uh, the book of the law and the prophets. They knew it in and out, and these people would be invited to follow a rabbi. So when Jesus was giving an invitation for anyone to come and follow him, they, this was... This was an invitation that they did not deserve, that, that, that they did not earn with their education, with their intelligence, or with their affluent families. And, and we see this trend throughout, throughout history of the time of, of Jesus Christ where he continues to invite us into something that we don't deserve. And so Jesus gives them this invitation to begin following him when they weren't the kind of men who would deserve this invitation. And so they went with him, and what we see in verse 39, it says, Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him for the rest of the day. Continuing to verse 40, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said, John the Baptist, when he said, this is the Lamb of God, and then he followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. When we talk about inviting people, I want to make sure that we have our motivations right. Because it's not, it's not a popularity contest. It's not something about, like, we're going to try to win the argument. It's not, we're going to go and fix this person. The reason that we invite other people to join us at church is because we have found something that is meaningful, that is beneficial, something that is true. The fact that God loves us and has a plan for us. And there's a community of people that you can go through life who will walk alongside you, pick you up when you fall. The belonging to a church matters because God has a plan for you, God has a purpose for you, and God has a place for you to belong. And so we invite people that we love to join us. And I, I love Andrew, his example in this, because he went, after he found Jesus, he wasn't just saying, oh, I'm just going to stick with the, the Messiah. I found him. This is amazing. I can't let him leave my sight. Otherwise, I might not be able to find him again. He said, I've got to go find my brother. He's got to see this. And, and, and Andrew um, it, it's funny because as I was reflecting on this story in preparation for this week, it reminded me of when I was a youth pastor, I had a student named Andrew. And, and Andrew was a solid kid. Like, I mean, he was the, the, the kid who, if youth group was going on, he was there. If I'm like, hey, who wants to study theology? Andrew's like, I'm in. Like, I want, I want to grow. I want to know. I want to be part of it all. But Andrew had a little brother named Ben. And Ben was the kind of kid that, like, you wanted to hug him around the neck with both hands, right? Like, I mean, he was that kid. It's like, you, you have so much talent, so much ability, but you're acting like a moron. You have to stop this. And, and Andrew saw Ben just, just growing away from God, like just getting involved in the wrong scene. And Andrew continued to use all of his influence and, and did everything he could to continue to get Ben to come to church with him. And not because he was trying to force something on him, but because he knew that God had something better for Ben. And it was about a year and a half where Ben was just making these stupid choices, doing dumb things. But Andrew just kept bringing him. He just kept bringing, kept inviting him, kept helping, helping him find reasons to come out to church. And then one day, God got a hold of Ben's heart. And it was phenomenal. 
because it was, it was just this huge transformation, and anyone who was anywhere near Ben in his life, they could see the way that Ben changed. And Andrew, no shock, he went into ministry, and he's a youth pastor, and God has used him to do great things. He's raising an awesome family who loves the Lord. Ben, the kid who was the wild child who is destined to just mess things up, but then God got a hold of his heart. Ben is now serving overseas as a missionary. And let me tell you, not, not to say that Ben's doing better than Andrew or anything like that. They both are doing incredible things. But without Andrew's influence, Ben would have still been going in the wrong direction. And Ben turned down Andrew's invitation many times, accepted a few times, to the point where God got a hold of his heart. But when we look at Andrew's invitation here in the passage, his brother that he brought, in verse 41, it says, Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Andrew's brother was Peter. Peter was the leader of the early church. Jesus said, your faith, you're going to be the rock on which I build the church. Peter was the one who on the, on the day after Pentecost, he went out into the streets and he preached and thousands of people responded and came to Christ. Peter did tremendous things. At the gate of beautiful, there was a beggar asking him for money and Peter was walking by and he said, silver or gold I have not, but what I have I give freely in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk and he was healed. Peter did incredible things. Peter's faith had its start at Andrew's invitation. And as a young leader in the church, I remember, man, I want to I be a bold leader, someone who steps out, takes risks like Peter. But as I, I, I've continued to grow, and I love Peter's example, the way that he shoved his foot in his mouth so many times and messed up but just kept going anyway, I relate to that. But I want to be a leader like Andrew. And I want us to have a heartbeat of saying, yeah, I want God to do great things in my life because God did great things through Andrew's life. He, we see he was with Jesus through all of his life, ministry, his death, his resurrection. There, there's tradition that he established churches all around those areas. There's St. Andrew's Cross, which is shaped like an X that is still talked about today because Andrew tradition holds that he was crucified on an X-shaped cross because he didn't feel himself worthy to be crucified on the same type of cross that Christ died on. Andrew did incredible things. But I want to be someone who the, the people that I invite, the people that I encourage, the people that I inspire, they surpass me and do even greater things. When we invite someone to church, when we invite someone to take a step forward in their faith, we have no clue how, how far God is going to take their life. And so the second I, I will statement today is I will invite and influence someone that is important to me. For Andrew, that was his brother, Simon, who became Peter. We can put that up on the screen if we can. I will invite and influence someone that is important to me. Who is that to you? Who is the person who, said, who you would say, I feel like God has put this person on my heart. I love them. I want to see them experience the best in life. And I want to invite them to come to church. And as we've said before, whether it's Gulfside or any other church in town that is preaching the gospel, that's where we rejoice. We want people to find a home church where they belong, where they can bring neighbors along with them and make a difference in their city. Because it can just start as a, as a normal invitation, just a normal, come bring, come meet this person. And then God takes their life in a whole new direction that we never would have imagined. 
So first we see with John the Baptist being willing to pay a cost. Next we see with Andrew going and inviting someone that you love and bringing them to church. And then in verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. I love that because no matter how big God's interruption is to your life, he found Philip, but he didn't drag Philip off. Like, I mean, he found Philip and then he invited Philip. And that's how God works in our life. He, he will find us. He will draw us. He, he will get our attention in some way in many different things. I know that through some of you guys' life, you say, you know, God grabbed a hold of my attention through this, through this tragedy, through this great thing, through this family growth, through whatever. God got my attention. But there's always a moment where you have to decide in your head and heart what you believe about God. Because none of us were born Christians. You might have been born in a Christian family. You might have got dragged to a church. But eventually you have to decide Will you respond to God's invitation? Will you believe in, in your heart? Will you believe? Will you confess with your mouth? So Jesus found Philip and said, come with me. He extended this invitation to come and follow him, which was once again an invitation that he did not earn. And it said, Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the, sons of the, uh, Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Now, now this is interesting in a couple different places. First of all, Philip had that same reaction of, oh, I've got to go tell this person. I found the Messiah. This is so good, I can't keep it a secret. I've got to share it with him. And, and he goes, and Nathaniel is obviously a student uh, of the law and of the prophets. Because as he says, he says, this is the person that was written about. So, so in Nathaniel's mind, to kind of quote some of that, it, back in Genesis, he would have been like, this is the person who's going to crush the head of the snake that deceived us in the garden, going back to the story of Adam and Eve. He, he would have said from Psalms, this is the person whose hands and feet will be pierced for our transgressions. He would have gone to Isaiah, that, that this is the person who, who was crushed for our iniquities and our sins. This is the person who is going to be the beginning of the new covenant with God, where the old one is gone, and God is no longer writing his laws on tablets of stones, but on the hearts of men. This is that person. There would have been a great expectation to who the person would have been in, in Nathaniel's eyes, and then Philip dropped this bomb. Oh, and by the way, he's from Nazareth. And if, if you haven't seen this yet, and this might kind of skew some of your perspective, but the, the people in Scripture were, were people. Like, Jesus was perfect. Everyone else, not so much. Read their stories, you'll realize. Discrimination, racism, sexism, those were in the characters of these people because they were not perfect. And they are not our perfect example. That is only Jesus. And so he hears, and he's like, Nazareth. How could anything good come from there. And, and just talking about invitations and being invitational, there's probably part of you that says, if I, I would like to invite someone, but they might raise an objection that I don't know how to answer. And I don't like to argue, and I don't like to reason, and I don't like to debate, and I also don't like to be embarrassed. So I'm just not going to invite anybody. And I want to tell you, hearts and souls, they're not won by you ripping apart someone's logic. They're, they're rarely ever won in a debate or an argument. But, but minds are changed by experiences. And I love the way that Philip handled this. Because when he brought up the objection, Philip's reply was, come and see. Come and check it out. 
Come see what he's like. And, and, and one of the reasons why an invitation to church is so powerful, because even when someone comes in with doubts, but when they experience people who genuinely care about them and have never met them before, they ask, whoa, why are they like this? And when they come into worship and they, they sense the Spirit of God in this place and moving and working out of their places, they, they want to know what that means and what that's like to have that in their life. And, and the Word of God, as, we're, as it's written, it always goes out and fulfills its purpose. It never returns void. And the Word of God begins to work in their life. And, and there is a time to, to go out and share, and we see that in Scripture, but there's also a time to say, come in and experience and if you're nervous about inviting someone to, to try out church again, I want to just encourage you, you don't have to argue it out. You don't have to answer all the questions. You just have to say, like Philip did, come and see for yourself. Come and try it. Because one of the most powerful encouragements to someone that you can share is this has been good for me. It has been good for my marriage. It's been good for my family. And so the third I will statement is I will encourage someone to experience the evidence. And I hope that you let this kind of settle in your head and your heart because what we're, we're not asking you and God is never asking you to make someone make a decision. We're not asking you to force anyone to do something, but we're, we're, in, we're saying you should encourage someone, use your influence and encourage someone to experience what God has for them. And we see it this, in this the text so, so beautifully. Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. The power of the invite, we, we don't know. Will this just be a normal Sunday or will this be something that redirects someone's entire life? And as I said at the beginning, we're, we're a Luke 19.10 church. We're going to be a church that seeks after people, that moves towards them, that does things that encourages them to come and try it out again. Because I know many people in our city, they've gotten hurt by church. Many people in our city, they, they feel like Christians are a certain way. But we have the joy of getting to break that model and show them the true love of Christ. Uh, I want to kind of begin to wrap up, and band, if you want to make your way up to the stage, uh, with, with a story that I, I read in a lady's blog post, and she she went to Disney World with her kids and her husband. And she brought her daughter, who I believe was about 10, and her son, who was about 4, and they went to Disney World. And if any of you guys have gone to Disney World before, you know the idea of going to Disney World is sometimes more fun than going to Disney World, right? I mean, you, you get there, and there's so many things you want to do, and there's so many lines and so many people, and it's just crazy. And so they get there, and they're all excited for the day, and, you know, they're happiest place on earth, and they've got their, their schedule of events, and she does the count. Okay, haven't lost the husband yet. He's still here. Ten-year-old's here. Four-year-old. Four-year-old is gone. This is not the way you're supposed to start your day at Disney. And so what she did, she said, well, my fast pass for the Toy Story ride is expiring in six minutes, so we'll just hope to find him later. We'll, we'll hopefully bump into him. You know, I'm, I'm sure he'll be okay. There's a lot of fun stuff. I don't want to miss all my fun stuff. So I'm just going to go and do my day and I'll worry about my lost child some other time. No, like, you know, 
like the, the panic sets in, the anxiety, looking everywhere, yelling at the husband because it's obviously his fault that this child ran off. And, and where, hey, you're not allowed to say that. All right. My wife just t- chimed in on that. Um, no parent would ever do that. But I feel like the American church has kind of almost settled into this place where it's like we have so many great things that we get to do. We have so many things that we get to enjoy. But it's almost like, oh, I would like to invite that person, but man, I would much rather go and do this. I would much rather just enjoy myself. I would much rather not rock the boat with an invitation. When what God's word shows us about his heart, he says, man, my lost child is out there amongst you. And you are my hands and you are my feet and they're within your reach. And it is your calling to reach out to them. So I don't think that we have room to just say, well, maybe if it happens, it happens. Maybe I'll bump into them later and it'll just happen organically. I think that we have a calling to go out and make a difference in this city. That we actually have to seek after people. And I understand that there's a cost. But when you love somebody, you use your influence. You use your energy to encourage them. And when we do that, we get to see the church at work in a city in a way that even people who don't believe want to see it. They want to see the church rise up. They want to see the church love people. They want to see the church help the single mom. They want to see the church rally around their city and make a difference. We have the opportunity to do that. Will we seize that opportunity? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you extend to us an invitation that we never could have earned to follow you, to be adopted as a child of God when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God, that you raised him from the dead. So as we believe that today, encourage our hearts. As there's things that have weighed heavy on our heart, Lord, help us to know that you are present. And Lord, help us to extend our arms to each other and help each other walk through this life. Thank you so much for this great opportunity that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.